Hello and welcome to episode 175 of Some Like It, Scott. I'm your host, Scott Harvey, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Scott Shelton. Today on the podcast, 2022 begins with a cry of terror as we review the latest film in the Scream franchise, Scream. But first, how are you, Scott? I'm just so excited that we can call this this a franchise, finally, with its first entry, just titled simply Scream. It should be really right. straightforward uh, during all of our discussions today. When we're talking about Scream, we'll know which movie we're talking about. Uh, no, I'm doing great, Scott. It, it was, uh, you know, not to give anything away about my feelings on the film, but it was pretty terrifying to see that this movie was being released in January. I'm not sure which was scarier, the fact that they were releasing a Scream movie in January um, or that they were making a fifth Scream movie. Uh, take your pick about which thing is more terrifying in, in the build up to this film. But yeah, I I'm back from my mini January vacation from uh, away from the cold climates of New York City to Miami. And I welcome myself back by watching Scream. Yeah, well, I have not left the cold climate. I have been uh, snowed in uh, the past couple of days. I had to go to work this morning. Um, and my boss came around in his huge F-150 and picked everyone up, basically, and took us into work. That's how we got there, because I literally, I, I tried to back out of my parking spot, and I got two feet, and my car got completely stuck. So, um, like, oh my completely God. stuck. So, well, how kind we of him work. to drive around and pick everyone up like a school yeah. bus? Yeah, he he uh, he got he picked everyone up. We did get to go home a little bit early. Um, so it was a weird day, but I mean, it's still really cold. I'm not sure what the next couple of days are, are going to look like, but um, but yeah, I, I am, you know, excited to be back on the podcast after last week. You know, some people might have thought we were going to take a, a break after doing a almost four hour episode last week. But not yeah, us. We, the movie the movies don't sleep and neither do we. And I, I do want to add just as an addendum to that last episode. Um, I have now seen a few movies that were in Scott's uh, list, including, uh, well, really just the two um Hamaguchi movies, Drive My Car and Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy. And they both would have been in my top 20 were if we were to um to redo the list today. So um yeah, I'm not surprised by it, but it was it was great to get to to back to back those over the weekend. So that was uh that was a good thing to do, especially with being snowed in yesterday, just take in some movies. And I also watched the tragedy of Macbeth, which I enjoyed a lot too. And stay tuned for uh Drive My Car episode i doubt will go as long as the actual film but you never know there's lots to talk about in that movie we're i think we're doing that next week am i right about that uh yes i believe that is correct um and yeah there's certainly a lot to talk about in that three-hour film so um i'm looking forward to it because it's it's a lot to unpack but it was definitely a very engaging viewing and i'm very glad that i saw it in theaters i do think it needs to be seen in theaters because it's another movie there you just have to pay attention um to everything so um so yeah uh but that is next week for this week scott as mentioned we are discussing the first 20 our first 2022 new release with the legacy sequel scream the first scream film since 2011 scream 4 and the first not to be directed by wes craven scream opens with a scene you may have seen before teen tara carpenter played by jenna ortega is home alone when she receives a call from a mysterious and sinister figure who presents her with a series of movie trivia questions. 
Answer them correctly and all is well, but get one wrong and Tara's best friend, Amber, played by Mikey Madison, will be killed. A few minutes later, the familiar opening credits roll and we are introduced to a brand new group of young protagonists, which includes Tara's sister, Sam, played by Melissa Barrera, Sam's boyfriend, Richie, played by Jack Quaid, Tara's boyfriend, Wes, played by Dylan Minnette, and twins, Mindy and Chad, played by Jasmine Savoy Brown and Mason Gooding. And when the Ghostface Killer returns to their hometown of Woodsboro yet again and begins picking off the locals, our veritable Scooby gang will have to solve the mystery of who is under the mask while also avoiding, avoiding the horror movie tropes they're all familiar with. If they're going to succeed, however, they'll need help from the professionals, which means that Dewey, played by David Arquette, Gail, played by Courtney Cox, and Sydney, played by Nev Campbell, are back for another rodeo to offer their expertise. Scott, it's been 26 years since the first Scream breathed new life into the horror genre with its sharp, metatextual commentary on horror movies. But after a quarter of a century, is there any new territory for directors Tyler Gillett and Matt Bettinelli-Olpin to cover? Or is Scream a forgettable January studio dump that is clearly missing the craft and influence of the franchise's two masterminds? Yeah, what an, what an interesting question. I, I do think this movie is probably a little different. Look, I'm going to raise my hand and say... I've only seen the first, the original Scream. I haven't seen any of the sequels. When you jump in here in a few minutes, I'm sure you'll be able to provide even more context. And I I think the good news is, and, and I think why it, it's actually ultimately really helpful that they have, I mean, I guess you can say it is, it is a meta commentary like most of the film, uh, as well as I think important to clarify that you don't need to have seen the other scream sequels really like i didn't like i knew i was missing some stuff and there's some stuff alluded to vaguely that or spoiled for you probably in in the sequels by stuff that happens but like i didn't feel like i was missing that much watching this film and so to not call it scream five making getting adding that extra pressure for everyone to have seen two three and four i think one a was a smart move and because and the reason that's a smart move is because it is a different scream movie than the original because it isn't west craven right like this is it is of the same vibe. It is of the same um, general feel of, of, you know, metacritical horror film about horror films. And that's what I like about the original Scream. It's when we talked about it on the on the podcast a couple of years ago when, you know, I was talking with you about it after I saw it in theaters just last year. It's like one of the things that really stands up over the course of time. And to actually get to see one of these movies contemporaneously with when it was released and, and what it's, you know, the, the period of horror films that we're in now that it's making fun of, uh, or at least at the very least poking fun at, I think is still relevant because it has been updated. And Radio Silence, you know, Matt Bell and Bettinelli Olpin and Tyler Gillett, and they're, I guess they have a third person who's a, the trio of Radio Silence, who I assume is like a producer on this movie. Um, I think that they are the right kind of directors. They've already showed that they have these sort of horror satire chops with something like Ready or Not a few years ago. And I think that they are able to pick up the mantle from from West pretty well. And yes, they have their own style. Yes, I think they have their own humor, but they it, it's it molds itself into this franchise really well. And ultimately, I thought the first half of the movie was a little bit not what I what not what I was hoping for. Maybe I wasn't quite as engaged, frankly. But I the second half, I mean that I really got engaged in the film. I'd say when things pick up a little bit, you know, starting with maybe the hospital scene onward, um, I, I just felt like it, it struck the right balance of everything I was kind of hoping for, both in terms of satire, in terms of, you know, the thrills, in terms of 
making you know ultimate things happen in the movie that that mattered and i think that were relevant to the franchise as a whole i really enjoyed that um i didn't mind the sort of really i guess over the top ways to just continuously reference and run things back into the first movie uh again can't speak to what what the similarities might be between two three and four but the fact that they ended up back at Stu mocker's house in this movie um in their own right and even it's all part scenes. of the point too yeah absolutely and yes they they are doing that firmly with their tongue in their cheeks mm-hmm. uh with all of these things and walking around the house shooting shooting bullet holes through the doors because you never know what's going to jump out of where just great stuff um i think the central like mystery if you call it that i think that is something that i found to be really predictable and the film i think isn't trying to necessarily hide who the villains are but i will tell you I had this movie figured out the first 20 minutes. I'm not doing that to brag about anything. I don't think it's that hard to figure out what's going on. And I don't think that's the point of the movie. But I think that's also why I thought the first hour or so wasn't as engaging. Because, yes, they do this sort of like, you know, you know, circle of people. Like, it could be you. It could be you. It could be you. But, like, I just, like, felt it was, like, kind of obvious probably who it was um, at the beginning of the film. And so, for better or for worse, and I don't think it's maybe really it's a it's a little bit of one a little bit of the other maybe that that took me out of the film for the first act and a half but it wasn't to the film's detriment in the second half where i think it uses the fact that you probably know who the killer is at this who the killers are at this point um to sort of play around a little bit more and the satire is is on point absolutely on point like absolutely scathing of fandoms and comic book movies and star wars and horror films like it it takes no prisoners I think it's really good. I don't expect Radio Silence to be directing any of these franchises anytime soon. I don't think they're going to get offered the jobs. Uh, but it'd be cool to see them team up with Ryan Johnson. Maybe. I don't know. I think that they did him a solid in this one. Um, but yeah, I had a good time in this film at the end of the day. The acting, which I haven't really talked about at all. I felt this way after In the Heights. Melissa Brera is not it. I will be imp- I will be shocked if she continues to get leading roles in movies. I don't think she's particularly good. Uh, in this or in the Heights, frankly, I liked Jenna Ortega. I thought she was like probably the best person in the cast. It's a shame that she blew her shot at a future career by not dying in the opening scene. And that's a real bummer that she threw her career away like that. I mean, it can't all be. Well, like, I guess we're talking spoilers just to let everyone know. I mean, the spoilers like 10 minutes into the movie. I mean, she, you know, she's I, alive I know, immediately. But it, it is a spoil. I mean, it is a spoiler because you sure, see that yeah. opening scene and you think, oh, well, here we go again. She must this be is, dead. You know, Casey yeah, Becker all over again. Yeah. I mean, it takes five seconds for them to confirm that she's not dead after that scene. But I see what you're saying. Yeah. It is a it is a light spoiler. Um, take, take it or leave it. But I thought I thought she was really quite good in the movie. I liked uh, Jack Quaid, who's Melissa Brera's boyfriend in this one. Um, but the rest of the cast, I could have just shucked. I wanted more from, is it Mason Gooding? Is He's the guy from Booksmart, right? Uh, I wanted more from him, but he didn't really have much to do in this film. Sorry. You're, Jasmine Savoy Brown is good. Also, she's yeah. been around for a minute. She was on, uh, she's on Yellow Jackets right now. Yeah, she's uh, having she a moment. Also, she was also on The Leftovers um, back in oh. the day. She played regina king's daughter in the second season yeah I, I yeah i liked her as well that's a good call out but yeah like without talking more spoilers i think that that those are my high level thoughts it's a fun movie it's it's more fun and better than it probably had any right to be and i guess that they cleared this to january because they were afraid of halloween ki- kills um which which is fair enough because that movie made over 50 million dollars well, yeah. weekend it did very well 
And if that is the reason, then kudos to them for being brave to moving it to January. But uh, a January horror movie has no right to be this funny or this good. And it made $35 million opening weekend. So, I mean, yes, they, it, it paid off, I guess, in, in all regards. But, uh, yeah, Scott, I mean, I was nervous about this movie. I love the Scream franchise. Um, we talked about, you know, we reviewed the first movie on our Halloween episode a couple of years ago. I talked about how much I love these movies, not just the first one, though. I, I mean, I do think that is the best uh, of the bunch. I, I really like the second one a lot. I don't think the third one is as bad as everyone says. and. I enjoy the fourth one as well. I rewatched the fourth one in preparation for this because it had been a minute since I've seen that one. And after watching it, I was really like, I don't know if there's anything new to say because they did like a social media era type thing. Even in 2011, you know, they did, uh, they like sort of integrated all that into the movie yeah. in Scream 4, again, which is a really solid movie. Um, and I was like, I don't really know what is left to say. And combining that with the, the trailer for this movie, which just kind of makes it look like a straight up slasher movie and doesn't really get at the commentary that is running underneath. I was like, is this, you know, what, what is this going to be like? Is this really going to be feel like a scream movie without Wes Craven or Kevin Williamson, right? Who I think deserves a, yeah. a ton of credit as well for making scream what it was. He wrote movies one, two and four, um, but is also not back here. James Vanderbilt uh, wrote this screenplay for this entry. Um, Who, my guy just and, has the the strangest career. James Vanderbilt. I mean, and, and I will like, say that gave me wild. A, that gave me that gave me pause too because he has not written a good movie in a long time. Uh, James Vanderbilt has not. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I I was nervous going into this movie in January. You know, you kept trying to convince me that this was going to be bad because it was coming out in January. Um, I had to get your expectations down for this thing. It was yeah. too risky. <laughs> Uh, the movie is awesome. Uh, I I loved it for almost from the very beginning. Um, I don't know. I need to rewatch it um, again to know exactly where it ranks. But right now, it is very close to Scream Two as the in the number two slot um, mm -hmm. for second best entry in the the franchise. I might still give it to Scream Two at this point, but that's because I've only seen uh, this one once. But I I loved everything it was doing. Again, all my uh, fears were assuaged like the uh, commentary is right on point like you said I mean it, it is on point to the point of being very literal very like on the nose but that's how Scream is right like I mean in the first Scream movie they come out and tell you here are the rules of horror movies they're asking these questions from specific horror movies and what like Scream has never been a subtle franchise with a lot of subtlety yes I, I just felt like this was a really authentic Scream movie that gets what Scream is all about. And I think what made Scream such a breath of fresh air when it first came out, the original, was that it was commenting on all of these horror tropes. It did have characters who knew all of the horror tropes like we, the audience members, knew. But it is also a horror movie in which those same characters, despite knowing the tropes, fall into the exact same you know mistakes that every character makes in a horror movie. And that's exactly how this movie plays out as well. You know, we get the rules of legacy sequels, right? They're reflecting on legacy sequels. I think we kind of figured this out a little bit when they when we, we learned that they were going to call the movie Scream, right? Not Scream 5, they were going to call it Scream. That this might be the direction they were going with the satire here. Uh, you know, commenting on 
A Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, Halloween 2018, all, you know, classic slasher movies that have had these legacy sequels, quote unquote, that have the exact same title as the original. Um, and that is, that is clearly what they are, they are taking aim at here. Um, and so, yeah, the characters, they know the rules, like Jasmine Savoy Brown, who's playing the Jamie Kennedy Randy role here, which obviously makes sense because we we find out that she is the nephew of Randy uh, or the niece, niece. of Randy. Yeah. Is, yeah. yeah um of randy you know she lays it out in a scene very similar to the one that jamie kennedy has in the original screen movie she has the exact same scene in Stu's house where she's sitting there on the couch watching the movie pointing at the the tv screen right as ghost faces behind her um so they all again they all know the tropes but they all fall into them anyway because you know it's a horror movie and it's easy to sit here and say oh we we would never do that uh, but you know, I guess the, the point of all these movies is until you're put in that situation, you don't really know how you're going to react. Um, you're not really thinking about what you're doing, um, some of the time. Uh, and so there's that aspect of it. There's also the fact that the movie again is, is satirizing legacy sequels while also being a very successful legacy sequel that I think does what any legacy sequel recall, as they call it in the movie should do, which is. A combination of nostalgia and new stuff even though like you said scott there is so much uh, you know so much stuff so much so much nostalgia so much like beat by beat copying things that are in the first movie down to their them being in the same house like i said um jasmine savoy brown is pointing at the tv just like the scene from the original scream um just even though all of that is happening there is still there are still times when they are taking steps to move the franchise forward in ways that I appreciate it, or at the very least resisting the urge to give in to that nostalgia. I think one thing I really liked is three separate times characters go down to the basement of Stu's house and you think every single time that they are about to reenact the, you know, iconic, most like maybe probably the most iconic kill from any of the screen movies, which is where Tatum, Rose McGowan's character, gets uh, crushed in the garage door opener after going down to the basement by herself um, in the garage door, doggy door thing, basically. Um, and every single time they resist doing it. And again, they're clearly like playing with your emotions like they want you to to expect that and uh you know they never never follow through they never give you that moment you know the other thing i think is they're not afraid to let characters go right which um is a sign i think of a good again i think about star wars you know is targeted here but i think about star wars the force awakens as a great example of a legacy sequel that introduced us to a bunch of new characters was moving things forward had these nostalgic moments, but as part of moving things forward, you know, was not afraid to kill off one of its major characters. And I mean, I guess we're talking spoilers here. Um, the same thing happens here. Dewey bites. They the killed dust. off Ghostface. Can you believe it? <laughs> Dewey, but Dewey bites the dust. Um, and I, you know, it was very, it was a very sad moment, of course. But you know, at the end of the day, I'm glad they did it because, again, I think if they're going to continue with this franchise, which I think they probably will. Um, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, there, there needs to be some progression, right? We can't just keep going back to the, oh, here we go again. Here's the, they're all, you know, they're all recluses. They've all moved away from Woodsboro. They're all doing their own thing. They're still traumatized. Whatever. Like, again, they're, they're making fun of, they're almost making fun of it, of his character in a way, just because 
it's this just the same thing we've seen from him in the last few movies where like he's fallen out with gail he's like a hermit he's you know drinking um he's traumatized by all this and then he gets called back into action one last time and the same thing for sydney and gail um but they're very much put on the back burner for this movie and they really want to take some time to establish the new characters which i appreciated even though i don't think all the performances are quite there look it's not this isn't an academy award-winning actor acting movie um, i think everyone who is here gets the job done um and so so that was good i mean yeah again i i loved the movie um I think it is really on point with what it is trying to do. It is very, it is of the moment. Like it, it, it definitely speaks to, again, this, the state of not just horror movies today, right. But just blockbuster movies in general, like I said, they're going after, um, they're going after star Wars and just any other franchise that has done a legacy sequel. I mean, uh, ghostbusters doesn't get mentioned in the movie, but ghostbusters is an example of yeah, one that we got this past year. Ghostbusters. It, I feel like it is it mentioned. It is. Yeah. I, you know what? I, they're probably talking about the 2016 one. I didn't yeah, even think about that. Yeah. Ghostbusters afterlife is what I was referring to, um, which definitely seems like it was a legacy sequel, but that came out this. Well, it's funny year. that 2016 is a legacy sequel and afterlife is a legacy sequel after that. It, it is, didn't yeah. work. So, um, <laughs> oh, man. but yeah, but so Ghostbusters gets mentioned, you know, Jurassic Park, I believe it's mentioned just a lot, a lot of, you know, the big franchises that have tried to do this. Um, mm -hmm. they, they take aim at, and I think, the commentary is on point. I mean, that they're they are preaching to the choir a little bit with us because I think sure. you know the the ideas that they are espousing are definitely things beliefs that we hold very strongly, Scott, about fandom and um, you We've know certainly been complaining about it for years <laughs> yeah. on the podcast. This type of thing, but it's interesting. You know, we just had long conversations about this type of thing when we, you know, had the sort of the double feature of Spider-Man No Way Home and The Matrix Resurrection, Re Resurrections. And I think triple. this movie fits right into that, that, you know, same ongoing commentary about fandom and entitlement and, you know, what, what do we need to be doing with these franchise movies if we're going to continue to revive them and this is going to be the future of, of movies? What is, what is our end goal here? What is our objective? Um, and as far as the objective of this movie, I think, like I said, I think they nailed it. I don't know. Again, I, I don't know where they go from here. Uh, I don't know if they wait another 10 years before they make the next one or, or what. But um, I have no more reason to doubt the Scream franchise because, um, you know, all four of the original movies are really strong. I mean, I, I like all of them to varying degrees, including, you know, the first one being one of my favorite movies, period. Um and now they have shown with this movie that they can do it without Wes Craven and they can do it without Kevin Williamson. And that's exciting because I think, you know, there's still a lot of potential if uh, they can continue to put out movies as sharp and as authentic to what Scream is all about um, as this movie is. I, I think that was the, the main thing that I was so pleased with is that this feels a hundred thousand percent like a screen movie um you you can't couldn't mistake it for anything else um even though wes craven and kevin williamson are not involved well i think kevin williamson is involved i think he's an executive producer in the movie but he is yeah, he but didn't he have didn't, a screenwriting he's, he's credit didn't write or... screenplay right sure and they have a nice little ode to him as well because at one point in the hospital um jenna ortega uh, tara 
is watching Dawson's Creek, which of course yeah. was the show created by Kevin Williamson. So um, that was fun. There's a lot of fun little things like that. And I mean, uh, Dylan Minnette's character is named Wes, which I'm sure was probably uh, on point, but um, yeah, but yeah, no, I, I think, and Scott, you know, going back to what you were saying, I think I agree that you don't necessarily need to have seen the other movie. I mean, I think you should see the other movies because they're, sure. you know, they're all good, but um, you know, there are a few things like um, Deputy Hicks, right, which is Wes's mom, which is Marley Shelton's character. She was mm-hmm. in Scream 4, so you'll all need to know about her if you've seen Scream 4. Um, Heather Matarazzo shows up for like one scene as Randy's sister, who is in Scream 3. Uh, Martha, who is the the mother of um, Jasmine Savoy Brown and Mason Gooding, the twins. Um, she shows up to like give them snacks or something when they're in the, in the house, I think, or something like that. But um, yeah. but yeah, so there's there's little things like that. But yeah, I think in general, um, you know, the you, you'll be able to under understand everything if you've seen the first movie, right? Um, which I'm not convinced everyone in my theater had seen the first movie because I, I think the first time that Billy Loomis appears in the mirror when, um, when Sam looks in the mirror at the hospital and Billy Loomis appears, somebody was like, "Who is that?" Um, even though it's very clearly, you know, Skeet Ulrich and Billy Loomis, what, because they don't explain until like the next scene or whatever that, oh, you know, that I'm Billy Loomis. Serial killer daughter. dad or whatever. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, which also was, yeah, that was kind of a, a neat little twist that they did on the, the Scream, you know, formula a little bit, I guess, with making her be sort of the final girl here. Her being the um, the daughter of the killer, right, from the, the first movie, uh, Billy Loomis. So that was that was fun. Um, the whole movie is, is really fun. I, I couldn't have been more pleased with this. Um, Scott, let's talk about the cast uh, sure. for a, a moment. Um, again, we have, you can sort of break it up, I guess, into two categories with the old cast members. Uh, so Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, um, and David Arquette, primarily. Again, I mentioned, you know, people like Marley Shelton and um, Heather Matarazzo who show up for like one scene, but they're not really a factor. Um, what did you think about the return of our, you know, favorite three characters from the original franchise maybe minus randy who of course gets bumped off in screen two yeah i i liked how they were deployed i when i i mean we've known that nev campbell um courtney cox david arquette were going to be in the movie for it feels like you know since the beginning it was first rumored that the film was going to be developed and not a huge surprise they were in all the other ones right like they're they're all in all the other ones weren't they Yes, yeah. All, yeah. All, all, uh, all three of them appear in all four of the movies. So. Yeah, that's what I figured. Um, so yeah, like wasn't a huge surprise. And I'm, I'm even though I, I'm not a huge fan of uh, all of the younger actors in this movie. I do like that it isn't necessarily you know the Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox show. You know, for the yeah. fifth time, I think that's actually a really smart choice to have have them come in in that sort of final act and be very central characters to the to the final 30, 40 minutes of the movie, but not to rely on them too heavily and to not be afraid to lean into this, you know, this new storyline, these new characters. So I thought they were deployed well in sort of the construction of the film. And I think that they were good enough. I thought, I mean, I guess David Arquette is, is really sort of the compliment to um, Courtney Cox and Nev Campbell and that he's in the first 
two acts of the movie and they're in the last act essentially um so i guess in that in that sense they sort of bridge the gap well between the three of them and are not overused in my opinion i think they give good performances not nothing to write home about but they do their jobs yeah i mean i think david arquette does the you know this sort of tragic figure really well uh, and he also has some yeah. of the good some of the best comedic moments in the movie too like i uh maybe my favorite line is um i forget exactly what someone has said to him but some one of the one of the teens makes like a a, a like kind of roasts him a little bit and he's like are you sure that you're not the killer because that, that, cut, that deep. cut deep <laughs> yeah. yeah it's it a was, perfect um, way it was mason it. mason gooding yeah. basically accusing him of being the the killer yeah. yeah uh right because he like recites his whole story as like oh here's the motive this you know it, you have all these things that would suggest that you would be the killer yeah. and then he's like are you sure you're not the killer because that cut deep that was perfect um, that, that was so funny i also felt like that was sort of in response to this this like immediately as soon as all these all the original cast was announced for this movie people were like one of them's gonna be the killer they've just been traumatized so much by everything that's happened in the movies yeah and so like one of them has to be the killer and i just feel like they plugged those lines in just to mm -hmm. sort of like wink and i don't know wave a middle finger um at the fans so to speak right yeah you might be right about that that's uh that's a good point yeah i, I think so i think i think david arquette is great i was definitely sad when you know when he does get killed but you can kind of see it coming when he's oh, you know yeah. when I he mean, decides to stay behind up there also uh, the way they shoot that too where he's like dropping the bullets on the ground and <laughs> reloading yeah. and doing like this really like confident walk up and everything um and you yeah. know again i i feel like the people in my theater some of them just didn't really get it like they were like because they they walk past you know they they he knocks Ghostface out or whatever and then they all sort of just keep go to the elevator without taking off the mask or anything and yeah. people were acting like oh what are you doing that's so stupid and it's like well first of all it is stupid right that's the <laughs> yeah. point is that they're doing stupid things that the characters in horror movies do and number two along with that they never take off the freaking mask in the screen movies that's like again that's one of the the like classic scream things is like they just they don't ever take off the character's mask when they have a chance to so it's it's like i feel like you do have to see the other movies to like pick up on some some stuff like that um yeah. because that's the fun part of the satire again is that the scream movies are all victims of you know the things that they are saying right like the the tropes that they are satirizing the scream movies it's not trying to avoid them. prey to those too yeah 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 um I do it's think that saying, Dewey, you know, Dewey does get a special kill. I mean, he gets the double knife in the stomach and in the back, and that's a yeah. You know, it's a nice tribute to him. I guess he gets something different. Yeah. So that was that was sad. And then yeah, I mean, Courtney Cox and Neff Campbell really only have anything to do at the very end um, yeah. when they show up to the house, and they get you know again, it's it's great to see them back. Um, and they you know have a little like girl power moment outside the house, like we're gonna here we go again, we're gonna do it. Uh, we got to mm -hmm. go save, you know, the kids one more time where, you know, we've been around the block. They they're doing like, again, they're kind of doing like the Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween 2018 type. Yeah. Here we, here we go. I'm brought back one more time or whatever to, to do this yeah. um, type thing. Uh, and, but, I, you know, again, I felt like it, they, they were in the movie for just the right amount of time to where like you feel like yeah, you got 
what you wanted like you, you've got enough of the old characters being brought back like you got enough of the characters that you love um but not to the point where it felt like yeah we're just doing another movie about them um yep again because i think the movie does clearly want to be about this new crop of characters and i don't know again if they make another movie down the line is there anything for gail or sydney to do in the next screen movie i don't really know um i guess we'll find out maybe um but I, I thought they did a, a perfect job with the integration of the the old characters there. Um, Scott, uh, let's move on and talk for a second about the new characters. Um, I've already sort of mentioned most of the actors. Um, sure. Jenna Ortega and Melissa Barrera, two people that we've seen before. Um, you mentioned Melissa Barrera in, in The Heights. Um, Jenna Ortega appeared on season two of You. Um, also, um, you know, Jasmine Savoy Brown, I mentioned we've seen before, Mason Gooding. They, all these people have kind of popped up in things. Dylan Manette was on 13 Reasons Why, of course, um, and in Don't Breathe. Um, so, you know, all, all familiar faces, but maybe taking uh, on sort of lead movie roles for the first time. Um, what did you think about this ensemble of, of new characters? How do they stack up to the to the ensemble from the original film, I guess? Yeah, I mean, how do they stack up with the ensemble of the original film? I think probably a little lesser, I think, in my mind. I think that they are a little lesser than that original film that I have something to anchor towards. Here's one thing that I felt about this movie, and I think that the original Scream is also a little bit too long, although I don't think it it fully wears out its welcome for me. Th this one feels about 10 to 15 minutes too long. And not because of the final act. Because I think that actually the final act works out fine. It's because there's too many of these people to kill. There are too many of this like younger group to kill. I think that like I understand that there's important to have like the connections and you have the sheriff as Wes's mom and whatnot. But like I feel like we could have just we could have scrapped a couple of these kids to save ourselves a little bit. And I actually do think that Wes Hicks and is probably the one I I'd say is the easiest to just sort of throw away. In my mind, I just think that there's too there's just too many of them here, and I think that the fact that there's so many of them doesn't give enough time for each individual one, with the exception of maybe Amber, to really, you know, for, for, because spoilers, because she's one of the killers, to really come out and actually have a meaningful role. I think the person who comes closest is who you mentioned earlier, Jasmine Savoy Brown, in terms of actually standing out um, as a sort of like Randy stand-in character in this film. I think that she's probably the most successful, but is it unfortunately like Mason Gooding, um, you know, Dylan Mininette, who you mentioned. And I think who is the other one? Ashley was, was that her character's name? Ashley live is the character. Or live. Yeah. Sonia Benamar. I mean, yeah. I, like, I'm sorry. Like they, they barely left a mark at all. I'll, I'll have forgotten that they're in this movie, frankly, um, in a couple days. So I, I was a little bit underwhelmed by that. And I think that if you just remove maybe even just one of those people, it'll it gives just a little bit more breathing space for some of these others to shine a little bit more. I like Jenna Ortega. I liked uh, Mikey Madison's sort of like, I don't know, Reddit obsessed um, killer. I didn't love it. I think that's I think that's some of the weakest satire probably um, of, of the of the film personally. But obviously Jack again, Quaid as well hasn't been mentioned, but fall, falls into the same area as that character yeah. because they're in cahoots. Yeah. And I do think Jack Quaid is probably a better, a slightly better version 
of that character. I, I mean, I, I haven't seen The Boys, which is what he's famous for, um, being in, in the ensemble cast of that Amazon mm-hmm. Prime TV show. But I think that he's solid in this, and I think that he and Mikey Madison make like they they give good performances. I think that their characters don't quite may, maybe live up as much to their performances. Jenna Ortega, good. The rest of them, I'm just kind of shrug. I mean, Jasmine Savoy Brown, I called out good, but the rest of them, I, I think, are forgettable. Yeah, I think Melissa Barrera overacts a little bit in some of the scenes. I think that's the main problem I see from her, some of the emotional scenes. There's um, that, and I also think, the, I mean, the first 45 minutes, I thought she was just, like, like just deadpan. Didn't feel like she was acting at all in the first 45 minutes. And then she, like, re- reverses course and goes yeah. in the direction in the second half of the movie. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think Mikey Madison does a good job as the Matthew Lillard character here, right? Yeah, as yeah. the stew in this movie, um, going over the top and you know, kind of doing the cackling villain at the end in the same way yeah. that Matthew Lillard did really effectively in the original Scream. Um, and then, yeah, you have Jack Quaid as the boyfriend, right? And, and again, that's part of the genius of the movie, right? Is, they tell you right like very early on in the first 20 minutes of the movie, they go to Dewey's house and Dewey is like, like asking her about what do you know about him or whatever? Do you trust him? Ask Melissa Barrera about this. So it's always the love interest or whatever. Mm-hmm. They tell you in the first 20 minutes that he's the killer. And yet, you know, they still are able to, to tease out a nice mystery over the course of the movie. Um, and the characters are still, like trying to figure it out, like, oh, who is it? What, whatever. I mean, they told you, they literally told you, but they just fall into the same traps again because it's it's a screen movie, it's a horror movie. Um, and I think that's it's really smart the way that they do that. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm not, I wasn't it, as uh impressed with the mystery of it all again because I, I felt like leave aside the fact that Dewey's just like you can't trust the boy love interest or whatever. It just it, maybe maybe it was just me. Maybe I was just looking for it too much. But like, it feels terribly obvious from the first scene that it is Amber. <laughs> uh, you know, is the one who's killing. I mean, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, look, it's not like there's a huge list of suspects, especially once people start sure. getting picked off. So it's like, yeah. Although, again, that's not always necessarily an indicator that so, someone could be killed, but you know, not really sure. killed. It could all. Be. I also think it's. We haven't mentioned this, but like there's the hospital scene or whatever where each of the two actual killers accuses the other of being the killer, which I just find hilarious yeah. retrospectively. Like, that is the funniest part of this. You have like he accuses yeah. Amber and then Amber's like, where are you? Hmm? Likely. Story. And that's one of the well, that's one of the things that I like too in this movie that is a little different from some of the other she movies is that like now they're at a point where they realize they can't trust each other. And so they're like every single scene that is just yeah. like, oh, I mean, you know, like uh, Amber and um, and Jasmine Mindy go character. down to Mindy. The, yeah, yeah, go down to the basement and, you know, they're friends or whatever. They're like close friends. But all of a sudden, you know, they're down in the basement alone and like they're like, well, you could be the killer. Like, I, I you know, I don't trust you and all this. And there's a whole little thing where you think you 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 know you think that maybe one of them is about to reveal that they're the killer and they don't in that moment obviously it does turn out to be amber but um i, I, I think that i think a, and i do think in that scene another way to construct that scene is is amber would have killed her if she'd gone up the stairs first in front of her yeah which yeah, would have been possible. an interesting twist yeah anyway keep going yeah but but anyway uh you know i like that they are like They've seen the movies like stab. There are now eight. There have been eight stab movies in this universe. And so they've seen eight stab movies. And it's like, 
they know the trick so well that they know enough not to trust each other. But again, like Sam, you know, has is told early on not to trust Richie, but she does anyway. She's like, oh, you know, whatever. Um, and it, you know, he turns out to be the killer. So um, it's it's a very very smart balancing act the way that they do that. And then of course, you know, the motivations of the killers are revealed, Scott. And like you said, they turn out to be sort of Reddit fiends who are obsessed with, you know, the story of Sidney Prescott, the stab movie specifically, and, you know, down to the point where they sort of engineer this whole thing. And yes, it's, it all relies on a very uh, coincidental set of circumstances to occur. Like if you actually sit down and think about what had to happen for their plan to work out, it stretches credulity, but they're not going for credulity again. Um, everything like everything with the inhaler and all that like is is very like sort of to for that to have worked out as perfectly as it did is is uh kind of remarkable but um but anyway they're not again they're not really going for like this airtight plot i don't think that's really the point um but basically they are these toxic fans who are trying to, who are so obsessed with the stab movies that they want to reenact um beat by beat sort of the the first movie um in the same well, way they want to create that, a good sequel that's what they a, want a legacy sequel a good legacy yeah. sequel yeah um you know in, in the same way that nowadays other people you know f other filmmakers and fans fans are demanding of filmmakers i guess who are making these new franchise entries again like ghostbusters afterlife or something like that um it's it speaks to the entitlement of fans and i mean that really worked for me obviously because it's something that we talk a lot about that are very attuned to going on right now i, I imagine it worked for you as well it, it did i think that general line of criticism or satire did work i thought that i thought that the whole like we met on reddit and we decided to plan a better sequel and enact it in real life was like I don't know. I kind of shrugged at that a little bit. And that's sort of what I was talking about. It was like, eh, whatever. Like that didn't quite do it as much for me, but all the other satire earlier on in the film. And then even part of that finale that's related to that certainly is on point, And I definitely agree with it. Um, just as like a plot hook, it felt kind of, kind of strange, but again, it's not trying to be reasonable or make sense really that much. Um, so it's not, it's not a huge, it's not a huge complaint for me. Yeah, and the other part of the satire, which I think really works, is just the fact that everyone is related to, you know, the yeah. old characters or whatever. Obviously, something we've talked a ton about so um, with F9 last year was a movie where we sort of talked about just the the epitome of just completely jumping the shark on this. Oh. Like, everyone is related to everyone thing. Star and, Wars Episode Nine. Yeah, I don't know if they did this on purpose, but I thought it was funny that, for example... So Melissa Barrera is the daughter of Billy Loomis, right? We don't ever actually know really who her mother was. It was just somebody that Billy Loomis was with in high school. But Billy Loomis is white, right? And Melissa Barrera is a Hispanic actress. Furthermore, uh, Jasmine or Jasmine Savoy Brown and Mason Gooding are African-American. And their mother is Heather, Moder Heather Moderazzo, who is white. Um, it's almost like 
they are, you know, they're they're making a commentary on how ridiculous it is by like, oh, we're just not even going to put people as the, who are the same race. Like, we're just going to say people who are completely different races. Oh, yeah, they're blood related to each other. Again, I don't know if that was intentional or not, but I thought it was funny that there were like two examples of that in the movie. Well, um, I think the point is that they're mixed race. Well, again, I think. I think that is obviously the other interpretation you could take of it. But like I was saying, we don't ever see, we don't know anything about, uh, you know, Melissa Barrera's mother. We don't know anything about um, the father of Jasmine Savoy Brown and Mason Gooding's characters. Um, Obviously that is the, the more rational interpretation. Well, I think that's because they are mixed race actors as well okay well then maybe i'm completely off base but i thought that it was uh i i, I just thought that that was funny like they could there could have been something there to the point again stretching it to the ridiculous degree of saying we're not even going to have people who are the same race playing blood relatives of each other but maybe that was just me uh reading too much into it but again i think it was just way, trying think, to somehow inject i think the the alternative is that it's just trying to inject some diversity into the cast because otherwise it's just going to be Sure. Like you said, all uh, I think I, I, I at least know Mason Gooding is definitely mixed race because it's cute. He's Cuba Gooding Jr.'s son and his wife is is white. I'm pretty sure that actually um, makes sense. Okay, yeah. I don't know. Um, on second thought, I'm not sure about Jenna Ortega or Melissa Barrera, but just. Yeah, it's probably it's probably some mix of all of it. I don't know. That, that, that's yeah, what I'm that, say. that's entirely possible. Either way, even if yeah. I'm overreading it, um, it works. Right. Because. Because, again, not only do we see this happening in stuff like F9 and um, Star Wars, but, like, this happens in the Scream franchise, too, right? Like, every single movie this seems to have, like, Scream 2, the killer, ends up being Billy Loomis's mother. In Scream 3, we get introduced to Randy's sister. In Scream 4, uh, you know, the killer ends up being... Uh, Jill, who is entire franchise. (laughs) Well, it's your fault for having not watched it by now. But Jill, who is Sydney's cousin, played by Emma Roberts. So, like they 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 do the same thing in the Scream franchise, where they're constantly just adding people's family family members into the mix. Um, I mean, come on, you're gonna put a Manson cultist in the movie. You're gonna you're gonna get the killer right there. Obvious, obviously the killer. Yeah, not seen in Hollywood. Her performance in that in the final moments was very similar to her performance in the final moments of uh once upon a time in hollywood but um definitely but yeah, yeah. La- last thing scott uh, i'm wondering how you feel about sort of the final moment of melissa barrera like channeling her father like uh-huh. to just go ham on uh jack quaid's character and just stab the crap out of him about 50 times um before what did you make of? What did you make of that sort of interesting twist on our final girl there? Yeah, I really thought that they were gonna go for something a little different with the end of the movie because I thought the follow up to that might be like she ends up being like arrested or something like that, right? As because the whole point is, is to frame her for killing everyone, right? Like that's the whole point of the plot between Amber and and Richie is to frame Sam for all of the murders. Um, including of Sydney and and Gail and and Dewey, and I kind of thought that that it might go there at the end. That like with this like horribly violent mur- like killing of Richie at the end, that that it might end up skewing that way. Where yes, they defeated the villains, but like the villains also kind of got their way in the end. Um, it didn't spin out like that, which I'm not. I won't say that I'm disappointed by. 
but I thought that was an opportunity to do again, do something maybe a little bit different with the franchise um, that, that obviously did not follow through on. I certainly thought it was interesting. And I think this is true about the killings in general in this movie. I haven't seen two, three and four, so I don't know if it's more, but I, I will say that like, they really did not shy away from some really uh, brutal visuals in this movie, uh, well, similar to ready or not. And well, that's what I was going to say. That is another thing. I'm glad you mentioned that because I forgot about that. But that is another thing that I think is very authentic, specifically to the first scream. Because I, I mean, I think the first scream is still like that's a really brutal movie for as fun and satirical yeah. as it is. Like the Rose McGowan kill the, for sure. Yeah, the opening scene. Yeah, that. But the opening scene, like Casey Becker getting like just gutted, gutted on her front lawn and then hung outside by the tree, like right in front of her parents, is like a you know, it's a dark, like scary image. So I feel like they were really trying to channel that because yeah, the kills are really brutal, probably the most brutal since that original movie. So I think that was another good yep. nod to the the first screen. Yeah. I mean the knife going through like one part of, was it um Wes, the character Wes's neck? I was like, Oh man, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, pretty yeah. gruesome. Um, uh, yeah. Some brutal stuff, some brutal stuff indeed, but not in a bad way. Um, yeah, I, I didn't know much more to make of it than that, and, and that I felt like it was an opportunity to do another sort of twist on the on the typical scream formula and do something different with the ending. But then they didn't do that, so I wasn't quite sure what the point of that was, other than just to like close the loop on her being having a cool line at the end where she can say, "Don't mess with the daughter of a or the child of a serial killer and stab him a gajillion times." But yeah, I, I felt like they could have been more done with that than than it was. Yeah, I I, uh, I agree with you. Like, I, th it's something that still gives me a little bit of pause. May maybe the one reason why this isn't like a complete, you know, aces, like why, why I am a little bit hesitant to say, oh, this is better than Scream 2. This is my number two Scream movie or whatever, is because I don't know if they did all they could with her being Billy's daughter and like, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I guess I struggle with what they're trying to say there with, her, yeah, I agree. You know, yeah, killing the killing him in such a brutal fashion. Other than that, it's brutal, right? Like the original screen. You know what? What? It, what is it supposed to suggest that she channels Billy there in the end? And like you said, has that line about Don't yeah. Is it is daughter. it supposed to be more than just a cathartic release of like, wow, these yeah. people really deserve to be stabbed to death? Is for it how supposed to be a are? sign that there's like some darkness in her? Like, I well, I she's the villain that. in the next one. I don't know if you've heard. I don't know if you've read the script yet for. <laughs> For scream, I don't even know what do they call it. Scream two two. I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know, but it'll probably scream be more kills. clever than we expect because that's just how this franchise goes at this point. Uh, all right, Scott, that should do it for our review of Scream Five. Let's put a score on it, or let's favorite scene or moment. Up. Sorry, I'm jumping ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, the, <laughs> 2020 is not going to be that different. We're still going to stick to yeah. something. Favorite scene or moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, look, there's there's several lines in this film that are just hilarious, and it's hard to even pick one. But the stuff about Ryan Johnson and Knives Out, um, Star Wars, you know, make, making Knives Out movie with Ryan Johnson, the stuff about that, the, how that relates to Star Wars, just some of the funniest stuff in the movie for me. There is um, a couple other lines, honestly. I'm forgetting my I'm, maybe this means it isn't my favorite one, but I'm forgetting my favorite one right now, actually. Um, so I guess I'm going to have to go with the Ryan Johnson stuff because that just absolutely sent me. Um, there were several others where I was I was like, there's about 20 people in my screening 
I was laughing way harder than everyone else in these moments. Um, maybe that they are toxic fans and just felt a little bit targeted. I do think it's also one of the reasons why they didn't like advertise the satire that much. You talked about not having the satire should have advertised in the trailer for the movie. I think that might have been a little bit worried that they'd scare some people off um, yeah. with how hard they go in on some of the franchises that I imagine a lot of the people who go see these movies, uh, go see this particular movie, also go see those movies and love them. Otherwise, they wouldn't be being made. So I, I wonder if that's one of the reasons why. But yeah, some, some of that satire stuff in the middle, the line about Ryan Johnson killed me. would love to see Radio Silence and Ryan Johnson team up for something. Yeah, again, it, you know, it it is a little on the nose, but like that's just scream. So I didn't didn't mind it at, at all. Um, yeah. Scott, you mentioned Wes earlier as being sort of a dispensable character. I will say that the scene I will highlight, the moment I will highlight, I do think that his kill scene is, you know, some of the best like legit horror stuff that they do in the movie. I mean, we're, we've talked a lot about the commentary and the satire mm -hmm. and all of that, but I, I mean, it's still a good horror movie as screen movies are and i think his whole kill sequence is one of the again more um inventive sequences in in this house you know there's a lot of good fake outs and stuff like that even at i thought point, there were too many fake outs honestly i thought there was too well there's a subtle that. one i really like where they don't it's not like a you know music grinds to a halt like it's clearly trying to fake you out or whatever but like the camera sort of like pans around him while he's in the kitchen and there's like a sweatshirt that is like hanging in the hallway on a hook i don't even know if you noticed it but like there's like a black sweatshirt that's hanging on the hallway in a hook and when they like are panning around and you just like see that black sweatshirt you um, instantly you're like oh it's his cape and it's, yeah. he's not actually standing there it's just a sweatshirt hanging on a hook and again they don't make a big deal about it like yeah. zooming in and doing like a screeching halt to the music or anything uh, uh but i thought that you know just little things like that i thought were nice little subtle touches to like ramp up the tension in that um scene. there was so probably one or two too well many done. fake outs in that scene they they i mean they did like three or four it felt like they did so many of them yeah it, it's possible it might have gone on a little long but you know i i had fun, a lot of fun with that scene i had a lot of fun with that with the movie so all right let's put a score on it now what do you give scream out of 10 7.8 8.8 for me. I love this movie. Um, again, I got everything I wanted from this. The fact that it may end up being my second favorite screen movie says a lot because this is one of my favorite and one of the most consistent franchises, period, in yeah. movies. So I'm really excited about how good this was and where it goes from here. All right, Scott, that'll do it for Scream 5. Uh, when we come back, we're going to take a short break now, but when we come back, we are going to hit the latest awards news, including the uh, the results from the Twitter Golden Globes and uh, the nominations uh, from the Screen Actors Guild. Uh, so stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to this episode of Some Like It, Scott. Scott, as mentioned before the break, we are going to get into some big awards news from over the past couple of weeks. Uh, Scott, the Golden Globes happened. Uh, what do you think about, you know, the opening monologue, the shots of the, the celebrities in the, the crowd? You know, that one moment 
where uh, who was it? Was it Mel Gibson that got really drunk and they had to haul him out of there? Um, what do you think about all these big moments um, that, you know, the world watched on NBC? Yeah, actually, it wasn't Mel Gibson. I think it was actually Robert Downey Jr. I think he was doing a little right. impression or something like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I got a little hit the sauce a little too early in the night. Classic that, mix maybe. up. Yeah. No, Scott. In fact, the Golden Globes, as we all know, were not televised this year by scott's parent company or any other company uh for that matter they they were held on twitter uh you know this had been sort of brewing for several years with the diversity complaints in the hollywood foreign press and then last year was kind of the moment where it all boiled over where what it was it came out that they had was it one black member two black members you know some ridiculously low number um and you know, I think at that point, a lot of celebrities said, hey, we're not really going to participate in this anymore. And um, well, there's also the, public, point, there's the publicist strike. I mean, that's also the thing that's sort of been yes. ongoing in the news is that basically the my understanding of one of the one of the real holdups of getting any celebrity to actually agree to attend this is publicists were refusing to make any of the stars of these movies and TV shows available for the requisite press conference this is such like an insider thing that no one in like that's a viewer of the globes cares about but it's this really contentious thing that that they are forced to give these press conferences with the globe me globes members and rub shoulders with these people who are right. just chasing clout and that's what they were all accused of last year as well um and that was a big sticking point and the publicist didn't relent nbc didn't have any real reason to relent after the rating bomb last year it's one of those things where you take this thing off of air for the year and it's going to be more interesting maybe a year or two years down the road if you put it back on um, than the other way around. But we'll see. Yeah, I, I still remember a couple of years ago when Greta Gerwig um, was t telling some story on like a late show where she said that all these people kept coming up to her at the Golden Globes, all these HFP members being like, yeah. Oh, I loved your movie. I, you know, I voted for you or whatever. And she yeah, was like, yeah, yeah. well, you didn't, or I would have been nominated because she wasn't nominated for best director. Um, and so 80 yeah, of the 86 HFPA members swore they, they, not, they nominated, they exactly. voted for her, but little women wasn't yeah. on the nominations. <laughs> they are just clout chasing. I have no doubt about that. That's, you know, the Academy. I don't know. They may be the same way, but anyway, uh, the golden globes did happen. They were all announced on, uh, Twitter. Um, it was very anticlimactic, as you might expect. Um, but, you know, Scott, it is still the Golden Globes. You still have to think that they're going to have some bearing maybe on what happens at the Oscars. They're usually a pretty decent predictor. Um, and, you know, looking down the list, I would expect that, um, you know, a lot of the winners are potentially going to be the same at the Oscars. So starting at the top, you know, the power of the dog winning for best motion picture drama um this you know is the movie which i think has the best odds right now to win best picture um competing with a couple others but i do think the power of the dog is probably at the top of the bill right now so it uh was the winner here beating out you know belfast which i think is probably the the number two movie which it's competing with coda dune and king richard king richard another movie that i think is trending pretty high right now as far as best picture goes um you think so i i feel yeah, like it's i do losing think I, mean, steam. I think it's definitely in the top five right now i do um but i do think it's right now it's it's between power of the dog and belfast um so uh, you know the, 
not surprising to see one of them win here in the best motion picture drama category scott musical or comedy west side story probably unsurprisingly winning here um you know i kind of thought back at the start of awards season that this movie that was going to be a sleeper right that maybe the closer we got people were going to keep talking about this movie and it was going to be hard to ignore um and i'm not saying it's it's out of the best picture race but it just feels like it's it's stagnated a little bit right like i just don't know no one's seen it, it. it's yeah i mean maybe that's it, it but it, it's still firmly in like the upper tier of movies that are going to get nominated but i just don't know that it has that extra push to get there to join like the the belfast and power of the dogs despite you know so much that it has going for it you know a remake of a best picture winning film steven spielberg you know all that jazz um you know i don't know that it has the the push but it does beat out here cyrano don't look up licorice pizza and tick tick boom um you know cyrano a lot of people haven't seen yet so i don't think that's really a factor feels like barely anyone like quite literally i feel like so few people on the planet earth have seen cyrano so far yeah but don't look up is probably likely to get a uh, best picture nomination i'd say licorice that's pizza. more of a chance at this point than not nomination wise, but like is is more in contention than some of those other like than King Richard. That's just in my mind. That's possible. Um, Licorice Pizza, you'd expect to be in there, though. I don't really think it has much of a shot. And then Tick Tick Boom, I think, is one of the few movies that is competing for like maybe that tenth and final spot for Best Picture. Um, so it has a chance, but um, again, I think. You know, West Side Story, probably somewhere in that three, four, five range right now. But I don't know if it it's going to get the push that it needs to catch Belfast and Power of the Dog right now. Um, but it does win here for best music, best uh, motion picture, musical or comedy, as you would expect. Scott, best uh, actress in a motion picture drama. I think you'd have to say pro probably the new front runner in this category at this point is Nicole Kidman, uh, who wins here for her performance in Being the Ricardos. Um, you know, again, early on, the favorite was Kristen Stewart. She was nominated here, but we're going to talk about the SAG Awards in a moment where she was not nominated, shockingly. Um, and it just feels like people aren't really talking about her as much anymore. I, I think maybe Spencer just didn't turn out to be the movie that people were expecting it to be uh, because true. Pablo Pablo Lorraine directed it. Um, maybe the same thing happened with Jackie again. I don't really know. How, how people were talking about Natalie Portman um, in the award season during, you know, that year, uh, because I wasn't following it as it's closely. It's not a traditional but... biopic. He's not a traditional right biopic director. He's doing different but things. But what is More a very traditional, things. what is a very traditional biopic is being the Ricardos, right? Um, which, for well, which there's, a, there's a little fantasizing won. at the end of it, probably, but yeah. Yeah, uh, for which Nicole Kidman has won. And, you know, again, the talking about these biopics like Jessica Chastain for The Eyes of Tammy Faye, pretty much a lock at this point for a nomination. Lady Gaga for House of Gucci, pretty much a lock for a nomination at this point. I, I mean, I think, you know, I still think these are the five nominees we're going to see. Like, I, I still think Kristen Stewart will get the nomination, but... I mean, Natalie Portman did get the nomination, too, for Jackie, but I don't think that Kristen Stewart is going to win anymore. I think at this point, it's probably between Nicole Kidman and Olivia Colman for The Lost Daughter, just because Olivia Colman is Olivia Colman. And like I said a couple weeks ago, she's almost like Meryl Streep, where it's like you can never really count her out that she's going to, you know, 
pull off the win here. So I feel like she's, you know, right up there with Kidman. But right now, look, I don't think Nicole Kidman was bad in the movie or anything. You know, I was expecting that she would be worse than she was. But it's just such a safe pick. It's such a boring pick. Like, there were so many good lead actress performances this year. Um, and, you know, again, I think they got a couple of the best in there with Stewart and Coleman. But, like, come on. Like, this cannot be the best actress performance of the year. But it's certainly looking like it will be. And, Scott, I kind of feel the same way about Will Smith winning for best actor. You know, this is kind of one of those legacy things um, where, you know, to, to be fair, we have seen these kind of fall flat at the final hurdle in recent years, right? Like, um, Sylvester Stallone was like, he won the Golden Globe. Um, he was like, talked about as like, oh, he's going to get the legacy Oscar win for his performance in Creed. He didn't end up winning. Uh, he was beaten by, I believe it was Mark Rylance in Bridge of Spies. Um, then it happened, uh, you know, the very next year, I believe, with Glenn Close being nominated for The Wife. And people said, oh, this is it. This is finally her time. She loses to Olivia Coleman for The Favorite. Um, so I, I, you know, I wouldn't rule out that Will Smith is, could get upset here. Um, but I don't know. He's just like, he's such a huge, massive movie star. He's such a, you know, charismatic and well-liked, you know, popular figure for many years now that I think he has a lot going for him and he's, he's cleaning up in all the other awards he plays, you know, he, he gives the standard biopic performance. He plays a real person, which obviously is something that um, these awards bodies love to see. So I think he is well and truly the front runner, but that doesn't mean he's not going to get upset. Look what happened with Chadwick Boseman just last year in the same category. I mean, he was, he was upset in the end. Um, I'm just not sure who would make the push. I mean, I guess, you know, Benedict Cumberbatch is still there, right, for Power of the Dog. Um, Denzel Washington, like people I think are just now seeing the tragedy of Macbeth. Um, and, you know, Denzel is Denzel, right? He's one of the greatest to ever do it. Um, I think he's always a possibility, maybe kind of like we were talking about with Olivia Coleman as well. Um, but I think this is Will Smith's to lose. Scott, any thoughts on the acting categories? Yeah, I, I mean, if not for Olivia Coleman, if not for Olivia Coleman this year, it feels like all five nominations would be real life, like people portraying real life individuals. Yeah, no, Jennifer Hudson was nominated for her performance in Respect, um, a movie that I think everyone forgot about. Like legit, the article I was reading um, did not have the movies that people were nominated in. So when I first saw this, I saw Jennifer Hudson and I was like, what movie was Jennifer Hudson in this year? And then it took me a few minute, minutes and I was like, oh yeah, she played Aretha yeah. Franklin. Well, I also had to, I also had to like take a guess about which one Kate Blanchett was nominated for too, because she's a supporting actress in two movies that right. came out at the end of this year, which she's gotten buzz for both. I, I think they did confirm it was for Nightmare Alley though, right? It wasn't for, uh, yes, Don't that is up. correct. Yes. Okay. Um, um <laughs> great. Uh, it, yeah. Will Smith, boring. Another, I mean, Benedict Cumberbatch is a way better pick in my opinion. Denzel Washington's a better pick, in my opinion, for sure. Sure. I mean, I didn't, I didn't love Tragedy Macbeth that much. I thought it was good, admirable piece of filmmaking, but I didn't enjoy it all that much. Um, but then Denzel was good for sure, but it just wasn't my, wasn't my bag. Um, 
but yeah, I don't know. I, did you mention Coda? Do you think is Coda? Do you think Coda is getting nominated for Best Picture? Back back yes. in it for a few minutes. He did. Yes, that. but I'd say it's probably in the bottom half right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm I'm genuinely curious if like someone like Rachel Zegler or yeah. Gosh, well, I, I was know. about to, I was about to get to the comedy or musical. I yeah, think, I like. I figured as much, but I, like, yeah. I wonder if someone like Rachel Zegler or um, Amelia Jones. Andrew Garfield. Oh, yeah. Well, I was, I was thinking just more in the actress category mm -hmm. can break through there and knock someone like a Jessica Chastain who has gotten her like, I don't know, obligatory nomination from the Globes off of that perch. Because I just think, frankly... Like, I, I don't know, like, I, I don't, the Oscars is just such a huge body. It's really hard to say that the 90 people of the Globes, how it translates, especially this year when they have the least clout ever that they've had in the industry. I just don't even know. I just like really, as I was looking at these, like, do, do the Globes matter really? I mean, I know that they're not being aired and whatnot, but like, does any, does anyone care who won the Golden Globe Awards this year? Like, I'm not even sure people do. Like, I... I don't know. Maybe it's just me because I'm a little bit more tuned into it and that there is such a big difference in how it's been talked about and how it's featured, obviously, in the landscape because it wasn't aired um, and there was so little coverage of it in general because there basically wasn't even a ceremony. Um, I, like, it just feels like it has even less relevance this year than it has in any other year. And I wonder if all these nominations and winners guidance that we're even talking through here if they matter even less than they normally do when it comes to translating that to the 9,000 body that doesn't have any overlap at all. That is the Oscars. Yeah. I mean, you're probably right, but at the same time, you know, a lot of the winners are coinciding with what we expect to be the winners for the Oscars. So, um, you know, I think it's, yeah, but the nominations not, not so much though, in my opinion. Well, again, I mean, I think that is the best actress lineup we will see. And in fact, you know, if somebody you, you think else, Nicole Kimmon, Jessica Chastain, Olivia Coleman, Lady Gaga, Kristen Stewart are the five nominees. Her best actress. I do. Yes, I do. Interesting. Yeah, maybe. And if I and if one of them is going to get pushed out, you know, you're talking about Jessica Chastain. I think it would be Kristen Stewart. I honestly do. After the SAGs now, like I yeah, think she's I agree. Be the one to lose yeah. out if if somebody like Rachel Ziegler sneaks in there, who would probably be the sixth. I don't think it's going to be Alana Hyam. I don't really think it's going to be Amelia Jones either. Um, so, I just I can't but, get a good read on Coda. That's the thing, right? Like Troy Kotzer feels like he's like a lock. He's going to get nominated, I think. Yeah, but I think that will be them throwing that a bone in the performance category. I think it would be a big shock if Amelia Jones got nominated as well. But um, yeah, so Rachel Ziegler did win here for Best Actress in a Musical or Comedy. Again, I don't really think she's going to be a factor, but maybe um, Andrew Garfield. Uh, I think he probably gets the nomination. Um, for Over the Oscar, I think Javier Bardem. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I, I think another thing too that you can't discount is just that Garfield has had a very good year, and people are still talking about him. Um, you know, not just because of Tick Tick Boom, but because of Spider Man, because of the Eyes of Tammy Faye, right, which he was also in. Um, so I think he might be able to get in there for that. Uh, reason because people are talking about him a lot and have a lot of goodwill towards him. But, you know, none of these other people, Leonardo DiCaprio, Peter Dinklage, Cooper Hoffman, none of them are going to be nominated. Um, yeah. I do think there's people here not being talked about. I mean, I think one of them 
because it's in a foreign film that, that doesn't qualify for all these acting Oscars. But I, I think Penelope Cruz actually has a chance of potentially getting a nomination. I agree. I do agree Parallel with that, Mothers. too. I, maybe she's the sixth, right? Maybe she's in there ahead of um, Rachel Ziegler. Maybe she's yeah. the ste- the one to steal if somebody, like, if Kristen Stewart really does drop that far. But yeah. I'm just looking um, at Gold Derby right now. Olivia Coleman's actually their favorite tied, yeah. tied with Kristen Stewart still, even after the SAG snub. <laughs> Which I don't agree with because I do think I mean, don't the either. SAG is like a quarter of the of, of the Academy. That's like yeah. a huge, a huge swath of people um, in the Academy that would be that. I mean, if they're voting in line with what they did for the SAG Awards, you'd expect Kristen Stewart's stock to have fallen a little bit further than that. But I guess we'll see. Real quick to hit the supporting categories from the Golden Globes. Ariana DuBose winning for Best Supporting Actress. Cody Smith-McPhee winning for Best Supporting Actor. Again, Scott, I think those might be your two favorites right now for the Oscar. Um, You know, I I think some of these other nominees probably have a good case, you know, Supporting Actress. I think Anjanou Ellis is certainly still in the conversation. Mm -hmm. Can't count out Kirsten Dunst, Katrina Balfe. You know, I think they're going to be factors, but Ariana DeBose has won most of what we've seen so far. Plus, it's a role that the previous actress who played it also won an Oscar, right? Rita Moreno won an Oscar for playing Anita in the original West Side Story. Cody Smith McPhee, again, I think he's probably the front runner for um, for Best Supporting Actor. You know, you have the two, the couple from Belfast there, which might cancel each other out. You have Troy Kotzer, right? Maybe he's a sleeper. Maybe he, you know, has like the sort of maybe unknown actor, you know, lightning in a bottle type thing that gets him, uh, you know, a sneaky win. But it does feel like Cody Smith McPhee's right now is Cody Smith McPhee is the one who's going to going to take it. Um, That that feels like to me, that feels like the safest bet right now. I mean, maybe Will Smith as well. I just like Troy Kotzer. I mean, that would be. I still think, I mean, he probably has the second best chance right now if I were to like power rank them. I think so too. Yeah. But I don't think that it's, I don't think it's that close though. I still think Cody Smith McPhee is by far the favorite. I mean, who knows? Anything can change in the next two months before the Oscars, but I just have a hard time seeing that happen. And Scott, you know, just complicating things further were the SAG nominees, which, um, they really wilded out a little bit <laughs> on these, um, you know, the screen actors guild again, as you mentioned, these are the actors voting yeah. or it's some random subset of actors. Who it is a random yeah, selection guild, that, yes. that, that chooses the nominees, which in the whole body mm-hmm. votes on. Yeah. And um, this random selection didn't feel very random. It feels like they picked the people who hadn't seen any movies this year. <laughs> yeah. Absolute chaos in the uh, outstanding performance by a cast, right? Which is their top, award this is their best picture uh belfast which okay sure, sure. fine i can begrudgingly accept that coda okay it was a good movie the cast was good I, it doesn't deserve to be in the five don't look up doesn't even bother talking we don't even need to bother talking about it house of gucci it just has a lot of acting in it like okay it's i i enjoyed it like I enjoyed the movie. I enjoyed the performances. I don't know that this is the type of thing that we should be rewarding as like, this was the finest ensemble that we saw this year. Um, 
and then King Richard, which is just kind of stupid in my opinion. Um, that that's that's nominated up there. I, again, I, I went through like a list on Twitter the other day of like here were all of the movies that could have been nominated against, you know, over a single one of these movies, like any of them would yeah. have been better than any of these movies that got. Yeah, nominated. I mean, being the Ricardos could have been nominated for goodness sake. It really does feel like they picked the the five most boring nominees that they could pick for this, right? The five most down the middle. If you had to look at the awards season and say these are the five most awards baity movies that are out there, maybe not Coda, right? Maybe uh, being the Ricardos is like that instead of Coda. But I still think you know Coda is like a down the middle crowd pleaser. Um, like these were these would be the movies you would pick. I'm just kind of flabbergasted by it that it just turned out so boring. Like I could not care less. I could not care less what wins this award. Like. I mean, I don't want don't look up to win, obviously, but like it was it is just a complete shrug, a complete nothing burger as far as the other four go. Whatever wins this like I kind of like I said, I'm kind of in awe. That yeah, I mean, last year it was Trial of the Chicago there. Seven to Five Bloods, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Minari and One Night in Miami. Those are the nominees last year mm. in this category. I mean, there's a couple deserving movies in there, unlike this one. Outstanding lead actor, Scott. Um, you know, again, I think this one looks pretty similar to what we can expect to see. You know, the people we've mentioned here, Cumberbatch, Garfield, Will Smith, Denzel Washington, all nominated. Javier Bardem getting that fifth slot. Fifth slot seems like maybe he's trending up. Being the Ricardos maybe trending up in general. Um, best, best actress, again, pretty similar to what we saw at the Golden Globes for the same nominees. But like we mentioned a few moments ago, Kristen Stewart was the one who did not get in there and replacing her is Jennifer Hudson in respect. Right. And, you know, Scott, I, I, again, I don't think anyone is talking about um, respect, but there was sure as hell nobody talking about the United States versus Billy holiday last year. And Andra day got nominated for an Academy award for that. Now, 2020 was a weird year. Um, I feel like you can kind of throw that out, but um you know, the the boring musical biopics will often get the job done. So I don't know. We I guess we will see. I, I don't know that this means anything for Jennifer Hudson's chances, but it certainly doesn't hurt them. Right. Like it sure. certainly doesn't hurt them. Um, yeah. So, something tell I'm, I could just be so far off on this, but something tells me like Penelope Cruz actually has a chance to take that spot. If someone's going to take it off of. Off yeah. Of I, again, I don't necessarily disagree with you there. Um Supporting actor, Scott, things got a little uh, weird here. Uh, Bradley Cooper getting in there for Licorice Pizza, which I love to see. I mean, you know, I loved the movie. I loved his role in it. It's, you know. Which shows you they had out. seen Licorice Pizza and they could have nominated yeah. the ensemble from Licorice Pizza. They could have. You know what, Scott? They could have. It's kind of amazing that they could have. Um, it was a movie. Ben Affleck year. was once again nominated for the Tinder Bar. That was uh, consistent from the Golden Globes. But then the other new nominees, uh, or the other new nominee, was Jared Leto for House of Gucci. Um, you know, very theatrical performance that we talked a lot about in our House of Gucci review. Jared Leto, he's an awards darling for whatever reason. He got nominated last year in the same category um, for for, an, for a worse. For a worse movie yeah. and performance, but yeah. A much worse movie, a much worse performance. I mean, if you're going to nominate Jared Leto, I guess, you know, this is one of his better performances for me. But um, 
No, yeah. he doesn't. He doesn't need to be in this nominated in this category. Like, I'm sorry. I looking at my short list that I have in my notes on my phone. Supporting actor has the most people on it currently for me. So there were, and Jared Leto is not any of those people. So, um, yeah. you know, there were a lot of good options. Um, yeah, I, I still think with. that one of the one of one of the Belfast people is going to get in this category, right? Like, surely one of them is going to surely make, yeah is going to make it. I, I don't really get the hype about Jamie Dornan in this movie. Like of the, I agree. of the main yeah. actors, like if you of him, Kieran Hines, Jude Hill, Katrina Balfe, Judy Dench, like I would take any of them over Jamie Dornan's performance. If, if I'm being quite honest. Um, yeah. And I do think Hines has a better chance. Well, yeah, he, ha, again, of the two, chance. he's definitely the one that deserves to be, would, would deserve to be in there. But there are like, again, supporting actor, there are, there are better performances that like selfishly I would put in there. Um, oh, sure. Sure. But like probably don't, you know, realistically have a chance like Coleman Domingo, for example, in Zola, like the, he doesn't really have any chance, but like I would, I would put him in there over Kieran Hines in a heartbeat. Um, if I could, well, I'd but, put any of the people from mass. Of course. Yeah. I mean, Again, maybe Mass is just a case of like, who do you even nominate? I, I think you nominate Ann Dowd just because it's Ann Dowd. But like, that's the thing. The, the, I don't, I don't have any reason based on the movie itself to nominate her over the others because yeah, everyone's so good that I. It, yeah. There is like, it's not, it's not the Belfast situation where I feel like Kieran Hines is better. Yes. Where it's like you have all four of those leads from or supporting performances, I guess from mass that are all on the same level and it's like well i just kind of have to if i'm going to vote for one i have to vote for all of them so i just won't vote for any of them yeah <laughs> kind of thing um and then scott supporting actress um for again four of the same nominees from the golden globes the fifth um which again you already mentioned was kate blanchett getting in for nightmare alley instead of ingenue ellis getting in for king richard i don't expect this to happen no. at the academy awards um, I yeah. do expect Anjanou Ellis to be nominated, and I think she has a decent chance. Even, um, yeah, I think the, the real category. question is: Does Ruth Nega hold on for a nomination? In my mind, that's the real question. I think so. Right now, I, I don't know that I've seen anything to suggest that she won't. But I agree. We still have a month to go before those we see those nominations. Yeah. So I don't feel like anyone knows. else's stock is rising. Is the thing right? Like I don't feel like I don't know Anne Dowd. Just because we were just talking about her, I don't feel like yeah. her stock is rising. And can nobody, Rita Moreno? Can nobody Rita Moreno <laughs> get another nomination for West Side Story? That would be insane. That would be an insane Oscar <laughs> trivia right there. Who is the yeah. only uh, person to be nominated for playing like two different characters in the same movie or something? You know, or just it's... get to make it less specific. Who's the only person to get nominated for the same movie? Twice. Twice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would be crazy. Like, um, Will Smith won for, got nominated for lead actor in Gemini Man and best supporting actor in Gemini Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, if I was doing the nominations, I definitely would have put him in both. But, um, but anyway, uh, Scott, I guess the last question is, you know, do we think that the nominations for best stunt ensemble at the SAG Awards, do you think those are going to translate over to the Oscars? Uh, oh, wait, sorry. They don't have stunt ensemble at the Oscars. Which is stupid, but um, I, I did see, I, you know, I would not be surprised, Scott, if sooner or later a category like this is added just as a proxy for most for best popular film, which they yeah. tried to put into the show. 
a yeah. few years back. Like this, this would probably be like the palatable way to do that, right? Because then you could put Spider Man in there. Well, that's what I was going to say, Scott. Yeah. We are we're talking about all these movies for Best Picture that have the chance to get nominated. Spider Man has a chance to get nominated. Like I wouldn't, yeah. I would not have said this two or three weeks ago. Why not? But like now, it just feels like the Academy uh, people are putting all this pressure on the Academy to like, oh, you have to be relevant, right? Like we're seeing like award shows like the golden globes went on twitter only like the critics choice awards they moved it due to covid like covid has really i think put this whole in pers- all this in perspective of like why are we actually doing this are people actually interested in this anymore and so like it feels like a lot of pressure has fallen on the oscars now to you know kind of regain the mojo that in the years i mean in past years the oscars was one of the you know four or five biggest tv live tv events of any year and it's just hasn't even been close to that in the last few years um what do they do to try i think it was the the 2020 award show before covid was i mean at 20 in the mid 20 millions okay of people watching yeah but you know again the pressure is still there like what do they do to to you know get back to the numbers that they were seeing in the nineties and stuff. And, and also like with Spider-Man, it is maybe a movie Spider-Man that is, is the answer. It is good enough to me. It, it would be, it wouldn't be the worst film nominated for best picture. Let's put it that no, way. No, no, because don't look up is going to be nominated. Well, sure. And I think, I think Spider-Man is better than King Richard. Like that's almost yeah. oh, going to get nominated. Definitely. Like, I think it's better than Coda. Sorry guys. I think it's a better film than Coda. I don't like, I don't know. Yeah, I, they're close. They're close. They're they're close, but I'm but I'm saying like I don't even think it would be the worst two movies nominated if it was nominated. Like, I don't know. Right. There's a worse nominee than Spider-Man No Way Home every single year. I mean, yeah, that that's definitely true. Now, does that mean I think it deserves to be in there? No, absolutely not. Well, but yes, but I'm saying if it yeah, sure. I wouldn't put Spider-Man in my list of top top 10 yes, movies of the yes. year as we've already discussed on the podcast. But it, you can nominate it, guys. It's okay. You can nominate. You're allowed to. Go ahead. Go ahead and do it for the fans. Yeah, it's fine. I'm not going to... There will I, There will be much, I guess, to, to the point we're making. There will be much bigger things to make a stink yeah. about, I'm sure, yeah. when these nominations come out than if Spider-Man gets nominated for Best Picture. And I think we can leave it at that. Um, Adam McKay getting nominated for Best Director will be will be first among them. Just don't even don't even <laughs> speak that into the, poss- the realm of possibility, Scott. Um... All right, that'll do it for this episode of Some Like It. Scott, Scott, where can our listeners find you on Twitter? At Shelton 2013 on Twitter, Letterboxd, and Serialized. hey <laughs> Follow us on Serialized, baby. I'm at Scarvy Dent on all those same platforms. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you have and you'd like to support the podcast, don't forget about our Patreon page at patreon.com slash pods. Even if you can't support us over there, though, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, like, do all of the things that you do on your preferred podcast app. And we hope that you will be back for our next episode of the podcast on which we will be reviewing the front runner, perhaps for best international feature at the Academy Awards. That's Ryosuke Hamaguchi's Drive My Car. Uh, But until then, for Scott Shelton, I'm Scott Harvey. We'll see you down the road.